put that into perspective, that is that is more people being killed in South Africa the last 28 years than Americans being killed in World War One and Two combined. Hi, I'm Evelyn Ray. Welcome to The Cauldron Pool Show. I'm really excited about our guest tonight. This is a guest who I have wanted to have on for a really long time. She is a South African lady. She lives in South Africa. She speaks out about things going on in South Africa. She dares to talk about the things that the mainstream media refuses to talk about. She works for AFRI Forum um, and she's just a wonderful person. And I just want to welcome you here today, Renee. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Evelyn. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Now, I mentioned that you work for AfriForum. You live in South Africa, um, so you obviously have a lot better information than myself about what's really going on in that particular part of the world. And I mentioned to you before we sort of went live today that I'm quite passionate about this particular subject. But unfortunately, over the years, I have been massively censored. I have actually been banned from Facebook um, and I have been shadow banned on many platforms simply for highlighting some of the issues that are going on in your part of the world. So I really am excited to have you on today. I really want to bring sort of light to this darkness and I really want to kind of give a really um, honest and accurate sort of depiction of what's going on. So um, really grateful that you could come here today. I, a lot of people said, be careful, Evelyn, when you're talking about these things, but has to be spoken about. So I kind of wanted to get a little bit of a background on who you are. Obviously, you don't need to go into too great a detail, but just for people in Australia and for whoever might be tuning in, just a little bit about how long you've been living in South Africa um, and sort of the life that you've sort of lived up until this point and sort of what got you to this point where you felt the need to speak out about things happening in your country. Okay, so um, your first question, how long I've been living in South Africa my whole life. <laughs> and um, to just put some more, more emphasis on that, for generations, my family has been here for generations. It's something that not many people know, but um, my people, the Afrikaner, has been in South Africa for 370 years. Um, that marks the time that when um, my forefathers first came here. So I'm born and bred in South Africa, um, proud, proud to be here, proud to live here. And um, what got me to, to start speaking out about this was my, my whole life, these things bothered me, um, the things I see around me. And then in, in 2018, the thing that, um, that gets to me most is the brutal farm murders that is going on. And so I was at this um, agricultural show and they had a, a wall with all the names of the people that was murdered in South Africa and um, there was a wall for every province there's nine provinces in South Africa but a big wall and um, they had to make new walls because there's so many names of people that has been murdered on farms and um, that was like the the main thing after that I, I went home and I and I searched on the internet and just to see, but what does the world outside see about this? And then I saw that nobody sees anything because there's nothing in mainstream media about that. And yes, that kind of got me to start using Twitter and YouTube, very amateur, <laughs> but just to try and get the truth out there. And um, as you put so nicely to actually shine light on the darkness. So yes. 
Now, I want to, before we get into this, I, I, you, you, English is not your first language. You're doing an absolutely amazing job, by the way, but you did ask me to sort of let people know that um, English isn't your first language, just in case, um, you know, that we're lost in translation along the way, but I doubt that we will. But um, so, yeah, you've been speaking out a lot about all of the violent and aggressive sort of uh, crimes that are happening, particularly to farmers in South Africa. And I really do want to get into the nitty gritty of that and sort of um, get a little bit about statistics and and what's actually going on. But before we get there, I kind of want to rewind the clock a little bit because um, every single time that I have shed light on what's going on in South Africa, or for example, um, I might share a video of a crime that's happening against people in South Africa, I'm often getting responses online from people justifying the treatment of white people in South Africa because the forefathers of South Africa were were racist against blacks. And um, that's often a justification that you hear. Um, I obviously do not agree with that at all. One wrong doesn't make another wrong right by any standard. But I kind of wanted to get, if you don't mind, a bit of the history, where this sort of all started and what you think led to what we're seeing today. Okay, so I already said that um, uh, our forefathers, and when I speak of our, I speak of the Afrikaner cultural group, our forefathers came here 370 years ago in 1652, and um, and actually it happened on the 6th of April, 1652, and as 6th of April is, has just passed, it's fresh in my memory to share this with you, that the third, is, um, or the third largest political party in South Africa uh, um, used this day in this year, in this day and age, the 6th of April, to have a land picket day in Stellenbosch, that's near Cape Town, and um, that they meant with that to go to someone's farm just on the basis of his skin color that is white and to sort of like disrupt his business he's doing there on the farm to make the point that, but that he's working on stolen land. So that is where the whole um, problem started. It's with people believing that the, there's a lot of people in South Africa believing that, that my forefathers came here and, and stole the land um, from black people. So, yes, just to put it into perspective, um, you are Australian, so I assume, um, assume some of your watches will also be. And 370 years ago, we came here, and that is 118 years before Australia was founded. So mm. imagine someone telling you as an Australian, like, you're not allowed to call yourself Australian, you're not allowed to call Australia your country because you stole it or because you came there after other people were there first. So um, that's really not the type of argument you want to get into, but we are dealing with this every day. So people justifying the wrongs of today with things that happened in the past, as you said, I, I am not keen to take responsibility or to feel guilty about something that happened 370 years ago. And also um, the next big thing, but there's a lot of things that happened in our history that I'm very proud of. I mean, the Great Track is something um, to read up about. But, um, the, my forefathers in 1835 to 38 
moved upwards into South Africa from Cape Town and discovered vast open lands where they started farming. There weren't people everywhere. There were nomadic tribes um, in, in parts of South Africa. But then again, 55% of South Africa's land is um, not suitable for agricultural activities because it is too dry. So um, they, it became possible to farm there after the Western technology of the windmill came in South Africa. So a lot of, <laughs> lot of facts. But um, anyway, the, the next big thing people go to is apartheid. And I was also born after apartheid, three years after apartheid officially ended. So I'm also not going to feel guilty or go back to that the whole time as I am only seeing the opposite now today. Um, so yes, we are the young people of South Africa are a bit fed up of that to just hear apartheid being blamed the whole time because that is 28 years ago and um, that, that ended before I was born. And since then I only, I only experienced apartheid but from a different side. Mm. Can you explain for people um, what the apartheid was 28 years ago and, and kind of, you know, people who might not have followed along, what that actually implied? Okay, so it was, um, there was a, a white minority government. Um, also, the, the long history before this also led up to this, um, led up to the necessity Afrikaners felt to have this system in place. We're talking about the, the very vicious wars between the British and Afrikaners um, and so forth. So the minority Afrikaner group decided that they don't want to be um, ruled over again. And they like sort of built up a lot of systems and had the, a, a white minority government that discriminated against people on the basis of race. And then obviously there were a lot of wrongs in that. And yes, then it ended officially in 1994. And ever since I have experienced that, of that same discrimination, but just from the other side. Mm. And I wanted to sort of hear about the side that you're seeing now, because, you know, I mentioned before, like you being held accountable for the sins of your forefathers, like how far do we go back? Like how, how many branches of the tree are we going to start counting? Because, you know, if we're actually going to be consistent and hold everybody equally accountable across the globe, I doubt you will find any group of people with any color of skin that has never oppressed another group or done anything of similar nature. So to continue on with that sort of behavior, justifying it because of the sins of forefathers would allow justification for everybody around the world to do something bad to somebody else, which is obviously very ungodly. It's, it's, it's not right. Um, and so we experience that a little bit over here in Australia. And as you mentioned, we aren't even, we, we don't even have a 300 year old history like yourself. Ours is a lot sort of smaller, but we are, we get a similar um, sort of reaction today. We have one day in the year that is designated for Australia Day. And everybody, well, not everybody, but the loud group of mainstream media and, and politicians and other activists over here want to abolish it because of the sins of our forefathers of colonising Australia. I mean, it goes on everywhere, but um, I, I cannot complain in comparison to some of the things that you're experiencing in South Africa. I'm not even going to try. But I wanted to sort of get a little bit of a picture of what it is like for yourself um, as 
as a white person living in South Africa in 2022, is there visual and open discrimination and racism based on the colour of your skin? And what does that sort of look like in your everyday life? Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, growing up, school, um, university, there it was difficult. You can only... um, to get in to study a specific course, you need specific marks, but this is based on your skin color. So um, with my skin color, you would need like 90% um, average on your school report to go and study medicine. But for someone with a darker skin color, they would only need like 60% to get in and swat, um, and study medicine. So uh, so there's discrimination with that. And, and it's open. And, and that's, the, that's the worst part. People are starting to just accept it as normal because it's been like this for 28 years where bursaries literally states. Um, so, so I had to apply for bursaries. My parents are um, both teachers and <laughs> teachers don't get paid that well in South Africa. So I had to apply for bursaries. And then on the bursaries, you would always see the percentage allocated. So like 80% of, of the amount of this bursaries would go to black students and so much to colored students and so much to Indian. So it's, it's really like <laughs> racial, <laughs> racial, mm. maybe. And, um, and then sometimes they would say white people like 1% or they would just not at all. Um, the same with job job applications. Like there's uh, <laughs> all the job applications since since businesses are forced to appoint a certain amount of black people in the businesses they they tell you like sorry you are you are too white for this job or sorry don't even try to apply um this job is only for black people etc so yes you see it and then on a more extreme level (laughs) the discrimination gets um gets violent as well so as you mentioned you saw me on twitter and speaking out about that i have i've received a lot of death threats from people of different skin color and um and then it, I won't even bother to report this because uh, I tried before people saying that they would um, literally rape and kill me and that wouldn't get any attraction um, in attention, sorry, in the media or anywhere. But on the other side, if I was to say something like just slightly racist, that would be I would be jailed for at least five years. And we see this happening Um and then one very upsetting case that is going on in and is going to appear in court again soon, but it was in court earlier this year, is the leader of the third largest political party of South Africa that sings the song, Kill the Farmer, Kill the Boo, like at mm-hmm. public rallies, anywhere he gets the chance, he sings the song. Um, it was very, very disturbing. There was actually a, a protest against four murders in 2020 and then he and his political party members came and sang that song there while people were in mourn about the former being killed and so after Fuerum accused him of this and being hate speech and this is a case in the court at the moment but yeah I'm really hoping that they would say yes it is hate speech but if they don't that really tells you a lot about what is going on because the media, uh, um, the mainstream media and a lot of people still think and justify that, no, it is not hate speech. And he can sing that song, public rallies everywhere, but um, I'm not allowed to even speak out about the 
the unfairness of bursaries being allocated on the basis of skin color. Yeah, wow, that's that is clear and blatant discrimination. What you sort of mentioned at the beginning about um, being selected into different programs at schools and universities and education and employment. Um, if that was something that happened almost anywhere else in the world, <laughs> it, there would be outrage. There would be media outrage. But like you mentioned, you went on social media, you went on to the news and these are things that are just not spoken about. It's almost because it's become normalized for people. This is normal. So everybody just has to accept it and move on, but it wouldn't be accepted any, anywhere else in the world. Um, I wanted to sort of ask you about that political party that you mentioned, the third largest one in South Africa with that particular person who was singing that heinous song. I actually saw a portion of that court matter where um, he was asked directly about whether he would stop saying that he wanted to kill white people. And correct me if I'm wrong, but he he refused. He wouldn't actually come out and say it. Yes, so that was literally, um, I think that question was based on a previous comment that he made, that he's not calling for the slaughtering of white people, at least for now. That was his exact words. And then in court, um, they asked him that he said that statement and would he... Um, would he call for the slaughtering of white people then? And then he said, no, he don't think so. And then they asked him, but um, would you please um, under oath say that then, that you won't call for the slaughtering of white people? And then he said, no, he can't do that. He refuses. So yes, he said that he refused to say that he won't in the future call for the slaughtering of all white people in South Africa. Was there any like legal repercussions or consequences for him not swearing that under oath? No, and the, and as, as you saw that part, and everybody who had eyes <laughs> saw that part, but the media didn't even make that the headline. They would make other parts of the case like a headline as if they think that politician is very funny. That didn't even make the headlines in the media. So, um, no, obviously, I think Afifuerum will use that to, to make their case stronger against him. Um, and then, then I really pray and hope that that he would be found guilty of hate speech and and that he would stop with that because um, unfortunately we're we're far murders. We've seen um, on the walls we're written with the people's blood. Would they would they would like paint with the blood and say um, Julius Malema that and that's the politician mm. that sings that song. Um, yeah, EFF. Um, so this is. This is politically incited crimes happening, and he he also in that same case where you saw the video also said that he don't think he's him singing that has any um, influence on the crime rate, and um, and <laughs> we can talk a lot about that case. I mean, he said he said that there is no a white person in South Africa in South Africa can't be a victim, no matter what you can't. Just because of your skin color, you can't be a victim of any sort. So uh, that's really <laughs> that's really disturbing. Yeah, it's a very scary precedent to set as well, um, especially if it doesn't, if it's not successful in being deemed hate speech. You've got to ask yourself, well, what will 
be sufficient to equate to hate speech. I mean, I can call a boy or a girl the wrong gender and that's hate speech over here. But over where you are, there's legitimate hate speech and cause for um, hate to, to, you know, take something to court over hate speech. And I'm hoping and praying like you that the right outcome is seen at the end of this. Um, But what are the chances of that particular political party getting into power? Is that like a like a tangible worry or is, is that something that uh, you guys are actually concerned about? Because in Australia, the way that politics work is we have two major political parties and then we have a lot of minor parties and we're sort of at the stage where you can, it, it's a little bit like America, you've got Republican or Democrat, that, that's all you kind of have and it's sort of like that in Australia. Is it like that in South Africa or is it a genuine worry that this third largest political party could eventually and maybe in the near future get into power? So um, in that same same case, he, he said in court that he will be president of South Africa one day. But, um, but luckily it is, as you say, over there as well, we have two large political parties and then um, them being the third largest doesn't have such a big... Um, amount of supporters it was a big worry when they first um when they first started up i was very very worried that if i get into power um that we would all literally have to flee south africa but it seems as if um, people of all all races um starts to see the ridiculousness of 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 the comments they make of the um stance they try to take so I, I'm a little bit less worried <laughs> now than I was in the past. And I think their, um, their supporters will just become even more less or less <laughs> because he, this politician, this leader really makes absurd comments and don't know who to stand for. For example, on the one side, you would be against xenophobia, but then the next day you would literally go to restaurant owners and ask, but why don't they employ um, foreigners or other Africans? So I think people to, um, start to see that as well, his double standards. Mm. And I just wanted to sort of circle back um, a little bit to a comment that you made earlier about um, universities and school and employment and things like that, how um, pretty much based on the color of your skin is the chance you have of achievement or depending on the color of your skin is what marks you have to get and your grades that you get to get into places. Has that been, is that is that legislated? Is that part of law? Or is this just something that the universities are doing as sort of a virtue signal to try and make up for the, the wrongs they believe have happened? And uh, this is this is legitimate. I mean, um, it's government policy as well for, for businesses to um, to apply or to uh, comply to B-B-B-E-E, it stands for Broad-Based Black Economic Empowerment. And then um, literally with everything the government does, they would always refer to that, but the previously disadvantaged and um, the marginalized groups of the past and all these buzzwords they would always use to kind of hide their um, their failures in the past 28 years so yes it is legitimate and um and you can't really get past that i mean if i if i want to go and start a business now i would also have to 
employed to this. Um, so wow. it is unfortunate that he is. Yeah, wow. That's, um, yeah, I, I had no idea that it was to that extent. If you wanted, as a business owner, your hands are tied. You don't have a choice who you employ. Um, I think, you know, it's very dangerous when you employ based on quota and not quality. Um, we see that like I, I served over here in the police force for 12 years and I saw the bad and negative consequences of employing someone who's not really suited, but they suited the checklist. They suited the requirements and things like that. And um, it, it does it, do you see sort of the negative consequences of that quota policy in South Africa? And what sort of effect does it have on young people who maybe want to get educated and get a job and start a career? Yes, we definitely see it everywhere. Um, so what's even worse, it's not only um, in the business world or in the corporate world, it's not only who you employ, it's who owns the business. So um, it's, it's this ridiculous that, that I know someone who owns a, a shop in a small town and it's been in their family for years and he just received a letter that he has to give 51% of his um business away to someone of color um, otherwise the taxes would be like I don't know what and um, he won't be able to do business there anymore and then it's not as if you can if you maybe had um, because people of color do work together in South Africa it's not like everybody hates each other and and just wants to spit on each other even though it's portrayed like that um, in the media and it, it sometimes feels like that but, but we do work together. So if you have this business, it doesn't even mean that you can take one of your employers that is of color that you've worked for or with for like 20 years and say, okay, I'm giving you the opportunity to um, be part of the management and have this 51% shares of the business. You, they literally, the government sends you a list of people that you can choose from. And this is, this is their... Um, um, their friends and family <laughs> so it's, it's really it's really <laughs> terrible and that is happening and then yes you see um, state entities that is going to the ground I mean I'm just hoping our interview can finish before load shedding and that's like a term you maybe won't even know but that's literally when the power goes off for like two to five hours per day because our, um, our only the electricity supplier can't supply enough electricity for South Africa, even though years before, before this government ruled, we had enough electricity and gave electricity for free to the rest of Africa almost. And now, um, now there's not enough electricity for the people in South Africa alone. So yes, you see state entities failing, you see businesses that's corrupt and, um, and all, all, um, all state services are, are really, really, it's, it gives you a headache to go and use it. I think I, I have to go to home affairs because I got married in December and I need to get my new ID with my new surname. And I literally haven't, um, haven't been, haven't uh, had the chance to go because it's always like this long line and they just say, no, the system is off or no, we won't help you or uh, yeah. So no, you see it definitely when people that is incompetent are um, appointed in positions that they shouldn't be. Um, I think we see that a lot in our government, and that is not even a secret because there is news about corrupt ministers every single day. 
But with the young people, um, there's definitely a lot of challenges and there's a lot of people immigrating. Um, you get your qualification and you just go overseas. It's very sad. They call it the brain drain of South Africa, um, <laughs> that all the qualified people just leave. So you see a lot of immigration because they, it's very difficult for people to get a job now in South Africa. It's very difficult for people to go study what they want. I know a group of um, Afrikaans students like myself um, that wanted to SWAT um, or study for vet, um, veterinary. They went to um, they went overseas to go and study that because they, their marks were good enough to to study that overseas. But South Africa wouldn't said they have no place for them because they had to allocate the positions to other people. So there's definitely challenges and you definitely see it. Um, I can also say that the um, Afrikaner people are very resilient. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people would say, yes, but why, if it goes this bad, why is why is our people still actually living in, in a good life in South Africa? Um, it's not due to apartheid or whatever people want to refer to in the past it's just people are resilient people are entrepreneurs um, they find ways and they work hard and they survive so yes um, there's challenges but but we are keen to to take them on there is so much I feel like I need to unpack with that I'm in I, like Every time you say something, I keep saying I'm in shock because I'm genuinely in shock um, at some of the things that's going on over there. So the first thing I kind of wanted to mention was businesses and how a friend of yours has a business and they now have to give up 51% of their business and not even to a friend or someone trusted. There's a list. Is is the government, is the local government or the, the federal government, like, are they the ones who are enforcing this and then issuing the lists? Yes, yes. So also I know of farmers that wanted to start um, Dow for, for diamonds on their um, farming grounds and then the same happened. They said, okay, like, because you need licenses for everything. So you need a license to have business, you need a license to do anything and then they needed a license to do that and then the government just they couldn't get their license unless they signed that they would give 51 percent of the shares of this business to one of the people on this list and then it's like this short list of of people I don't know if it's a word in English I think so but um ANC cadres so the political parties cadres like the people they're the friends and the people that just benefits from the political party the whole time so uh, yes that is actually <laughs> what is happening and it is very bad it's very very bad I'd like to know how people get on that list that seems like if you're on that list I probably don't want to know you because you got on that list somehow um, that's terrifying but I wanted to then touch on what you also said about the power supply am I getting this right you have to switch off your power at a certain time every day. Did I hear that wrong? I wish it was like that, Evelyn, because then like we just wouldn't do it, but they switch it off for you. <laughs> so like it's even worse, Renee. <laughs> it's even worse. 
the whole town, like literally, it's like they have this. They even have names for it, and it's and that's what upsets me. It's that like it just becomes normal. So you get like stage one load shedding till up until stage five load shedding, and then when it's stage five, that means like it's very bad. So there's not enough electricity for a long run. So they put your power down for five hours. So they would literally like you would just be wherever, and then the power would go down. I'm talking traffic lights. <laughs> I'm talking um, wow. shops, hotels, um, houses, everything. And uh, yes, you can imagine the implications if the power at a hospital goes down. And then it's it's always the communities and good-hearted people who tries to make plans to try and just save what the government messed up. So yes, that is. And and <laughs> now I'm going to shock you even more. So, no, please don't. I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> so um, it's not only the electricity going down. So um, there hasn't been a lot of maintenance. There wasn't a lot of maintenance being done the last few years. The, it's not our government's strong point. So obviously things would start failing at like our um, power supply and also our water supply. So there's like days in the week that you won't have water or um my my um my husband's parents they live in in the in one of the provinces that is like most mismanaged in South Africa most corrupt so they would literally like go on a strike the people because they want more payment and then they would just turn down all the taps and then the town would not have water for more than a week and wow. <laughs> and it's very very to try and try and lead a life where you actually contribute to your country you you try to do the right thing you have a job you you are qualified i mean you you kind of have a certain um standard of living that i feel you deserve and then this this happens and it's out of your control and and as i said our people are really resilient so like my husband's parents they put up a tank and a, and a pump and everything so that if the water goes down, they can like go on for a week without water. But <laughs> yeah, there's not all the people has the means to do that and make these mm. type of plans. So it's like, uh, you, you have to try and live on with that. I was going to ask if this is like, you know, whether South Africans are probably the world's greatest preppers because you'd have to be almost living your life with the possibility that the power could shut off, that water could shut off. Like we just don't have to live with that in the back of our mind over here in Australia and I'm and I'm guessing a lot of other parts of the Western world, you know, we we actually have it relatively easy. We've had it too good for too long that we've almost destroyed the good that we have. But for people like yourself living, like just not knowing, is the power going to turn off? Is the water going to turn off? I'm guessing you have to really prepare. Um, I, I actually was uh, friends with somebody online who was in South Africa and he owned a security company and he basically um, prepares people um, to be at you know, to, to know what to do when they're attacked or at least be prepared for those things. So you've got lots of things that you kind of probably have to prepare for from multiple different sort of angles. But I did want to get into the more, um, the violence and, and the aggression, the physical sort of aggression that you can see, um, particularly with farmers. Um, and yeah, as I said, my friend, he actually um, decks out 
motor vehicles so that if somebody approaches a motor vehicle on the road, there's pepper spray that will spray out so you don't have to open the car. But again, not everybody might have the money or the means to afford things like that. But I wanted you to sort of talk about the names that were written on the wall that was the catalyst, was the the thing that really got you passionate about speaking out. And that's the names of these farmers who have been murdered. And unfortunately, the, it keeps growing. I've seen video footage and photographs of fields with white crosses. Um, are they all similar to, to the names on the wall that you're talking about? And if you don't mind just giving us a sort of a brief um, sort of outline of the current situation with farmers. Yes, so that video footage you've seen um, is true and like every weekend there's people who goes to plant new crosses because there's um, farm murders happening every week, unfortunately. And um, yes, so under the under our new government, the ANC government that's been ruling for 28 years in South Africa, there has been more than 500,000 murders, like not farm murders, farm, just murders um, in South Africa. And to put that into perspective, that is that is more people being killed in South Africa the last 28 years than Americans being killed in World War One and Two combined. So um, that's wow. that's very bad. So speak about this, but um, and then there would always be the argument, but why worry about four murders? Because there's like 60 murders per day in South Africa. And there's like one of them might be a farm murder and the other is just other murders. But the thing is, um, there's not a lot of farmers in South Africa. Um, the, the My cultural group that we are talking about here is only like 3 million people in South Africa of the 60 million people in South Africa. And, um, and the Genocide Watch actually found that we have valid points to, to refer to it as a genocide, not all the points, but some of the points. And one of them are that a farmer in South Africa is um, more than three times, the murder rate on farmers in South Africa are more than three times higher than any other average South African. So um, so it's really targeted crimes. Um, it's hate crimes. It's very brutal. Um, people started talk, referring to it rather than form terror, than form murder, because um, it always goes along with torture and terrible things people in the police service would say that it's by far the worst that the worst crimes that they have seen are the form, form murders. So, yes, it is very bad. And, and what makes it so bad that I want to speak out about it is that our president in 2018 in America to all the media just said no there's no killing of white farmers in South Africa that was his words he was trying trying to cover it up and yes um, our biggest struggle is just to get it to be a priority crime so that there can be um, resources to to try and fight this but again um, this is political, politically incorrect to talk about four murders. So this won't happen. And um, Afri Fuerum is has um, neighborhood neighborhood watches and farm watches. And this is people, normal people like me and you, who needs a good night's rest. And um, they just give that up to be um, to be in part of this farm watch and to be part of this team that goes out every night for a few hours and just drive along the farms to check that there's 
no, I'm nobody suspicious or that everybody is fine. So there's people from our own communities that's trying to do something about this matter, but it is impossible. It's uh, it's impossible to try and protect people um, that is in such great danger because it's it's also not as if it's a crime on some like a shootout or whatever. It's people, it's children under one year old being murdered. It's it's victims older than 90 years old, like a couple older than 90 years old being attacked by more than 10 attackers. This is not this is not like a murder and kill, shooting someone because you want food or money or weapons or whatever. This is um yeah, this is terrible. And we see this happening with on a very militant way so it's very concerning and um, I don't know what more I should tell you because it can get very upsetting. Yeah I was going to ask you what the motive was and you sort of answered my question with what you said but if you don't mind sort of elaborating more you said they're not coming for food they're not coming for weapons is this purely just a targeted attack on these farmers and if so why? Why, why are these farmers being brutally attacked like this? So um, they would steal money and weapons and so forth. Um, so I, I just want to clear that out. They would steal things, objects, but it doesn't seem as if it's the, the main motive because it would be this large group of attackers that come for this elderly couple or this mother with her young children and her pregnant tummy. And, and they would steal like 500 rand. That's like, I don't know, the currencies, um, <laughs> currency converter, but that's like almost nothing. And, um, and then the motive would be definitely it's politically incited. Um, I mean, if you have people singing this, they call it a struggle song. So this song, but that which they sing, kill the farmer, kill the boer, they started singing it in the apartheid times, and they still they still sing it to to incite people to literally um, murder innocent people. So yes, the motive there has been people um, uh, interviewed for murderers there has been interviewed and they they said that they um they did it for this Julius Malema or this political party or whatever so you can't deny that it is politically incited and um and then just racial tension in South Africa definitely a lot of racial tension that just worsens uh, I remember when I was a little girl uh, we were on our way to school and I saw like this newspaper on the pole that said something about racism or whatever. And I asked my dad, what is that word? Like, I didn't know what that word means. And um, oh, so it's not something that you just grow up with, um, but it definitely got worse and worse and it gets worse every year. Mm. So would you say... Um... That uh, well, I read something uh, somewhere that there's on average over two farm murders per week. Is that sort of right statistically, or is it better, worse? Well, yeah, it's um, it it is around that. Uh, I wanted to also write down the statistics before we started with the interview, but I didn't get to that to just check what the latest were. But um, yes, it's like around two two murders a week, and then a lot of a lot more attacks per week. So um, mm. there's a difference between attacks and four murders. 
murders, obviously the victims didn't make it and with attacks, the victims um, could protect themselves. And um, that is also upsetting because even though you survive, it's like, yay, great story. Um, you managed to get the attack, get away from the attack and you survived, but your your piece is stolen. I saw that you're also on a farm, if I'm correct. So that piece you have to be in the nature, um, to be busy with, um, just in, in the Lord's presence. And yeah, I think that is totally stolen from you. If if that happens, um, you have to be on guard the whole time and mm. and your memories of that place of your home is like destroyed. So yes, that is the right statistics. Yeah, that's it's, it's truly shocking. And as you mentioned, it's probably not even as it's probably not even showing the whole picture because you're right, there are survivors of torture and survivors of these heinous attacks. I wanted to ask you what sort of rights farmers have to defend themselves. Over here in Australia, you almost have to... Uh, oh, it just cut out maybe the power. Oh, I thought we were going through a level <laughs> four or something, Renee, and they've decided to turn my- you off. It was my phone's power that that good, but I can't blame the government for that. I should have charged my phone. Oh, okay. Um, I'll keep. I'll keep going. At least we know it's not the government listening in and going. I'm going to cut the power. She's said too much. So, um, but I. I wanted to sort of talk about defense of farmers and what they can do. I was sort of saying in Australia, you're allowed to defend yourself, but it has to be at the level of force or threat that you're getting. And as I mentioned, I was in law enforcement and so often there would be a home invasion where some an offender would break into a home and then the homeowner would obviously like uh, defend themselves but if they went too far our Australian government wanted to charge not only the offender but the defender because they went too far is it similar like that in South Africa where you've got to be careful like if someone comes into your home like do you have to be mindful that the government is potentially corrupt the police are potentially corrupt and then you as that farmer or South African have to be careful how you respond to someone trying to kill you Yes, definitely. So I was um, celebrating the innocence of a young farmer that was um, attacked last year and then he shot the attacker and the attacker died and he was accused of murder. And um, And I was so upset and I, I, I you know, for what, what's going to happen to him. And he's a farmer, he doesn't have time or energy to go to court and all of that. But um, luckily he was found innocent. But unfortunately, there are cases that that it's like goes on for years and years where the people can't prove it for defending themselves. And um, uh, I wanted to give another example. Now I just try to oh yeah. So also um, last year there were a farm attack and the people defended themselves and shot the attackers. And then that wouldn't even be reported in the media. But when those attackers appeared in court. Um, then the the this political party and supporters and whoever not not only this third political largest political party also people that support the ruling political party um, showed up and like chanted that chanted that those people shouldn't be um, be prosecuted. Oh, I'm using the wrong words. <laughs> as as they say in my language, my English is like running out now. It's like <laughs> as if you have a out the day and then it's just, <laughs> that's also low but I'm um, sorry so, 
so then there was like a, it was swinged around and the media reported on this, that the people demand that the farmers be um, put in jail for murder because they shot the attackers. There was a large, and it's still going on, the, the, the investigation. And yeah, so no, it is, it's, it is very bad that you have to try and think about that as well. You can't, um, for example, shoot someone in the back and you can't, um, mm. you can't shoot someone or they shoot you and, and stuff like that. So um, it's very, uh, you know, it's difficult, but I still, I still believe that it is better to protect yourself with a firearm and deal with that later than to, you know, mm. just allow them life like that. You're. Yeah, I've seen some terrible footage and some terrible photographs of injuries um, and testimonies and, and witness statements of things going on with these um, farm murders. And yeah, you're right. It's one of those things where at the end of the day, like you've got to defend your life and the life of your family, your loved ones. And you almost need to put those things to the back of your mind because one second too late means you're the one who's going to be dead. Um, And that's really terrifying that um, that's something that you guys have to deal with. What are the police like in South Africa? Would you say that they're fairly objective and impartial and fair, or would you say they're edging in that corruption sort of uh, spectrum? I would say the corruption spectrum. <laughs> there is still honest and good um, members of the police that um, does it for does the job for the right reason, but definitely the majority um, doesn't doesn't take concern with what is really going on and. Um, they are definitely corrupt. I'm thinking of one form form attack that form murder that happened where the attacker arrived on the on the farmer's farm in a police vehicle, and then he um, and then he he went and approached to ask what's wrong, why is the police on his farm, and then the it was the attacker in the police uniform in the police van, and he just killed him, shot him in the head, and. Um, and and that wasn't a, a police officer, but but why would that person have access to the police uniform and the police vehicle? Um, the same with stock theft that is uh, in this province where my husband is from, the Free State province. Stock theft is a huge huge issue, and um, there the police is also um, part of it. So they would uh, the farmers would um, sometimes find they would see their sheep are missing and these farm watchers would try and find them and then they'll find like all the slaughtered sheep in the back of a police vehicle and it was the police that came to so yes um, unfortunately they are also on the corrupt spectrum Mm. it's sad that um your own law enforcement can't protect you from the things that you need protection. And then the law doesn't protect you enough as an individual to then do things that will take steps to protect yourself. Um, You mentioned the AFRI forum and the neighborhood watch um, and how they do patrols. This reminds me of those scenes from like Jurassic Park, those dinosaur movies where there's always someone on watch while everybody else sleeps. And then you sort of take it in turns. Um, Yeah. Again, it's, it's it's sad that it has to come to that that you have to live that way. Are these neighborhood watch programs successful? Have they seen uh, a, an improvement in conditions for farmers and South Africans? Yes, there has been a lot of um, success stories where they were able to 
um, help for police service because they 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 are limited to what they are allowed to do. So then they and the police would work together. That's also the good police members that I mentioned. Um, and they would catch some of the um, the guilty ones. And um, yes, there were there were incidents where they were able to kind of um, stop something before it happens and and also just the um the attackers knowing being aware that there's someone busy and in the area um looking out for danger it also uh, makes them think twice so i definitely think it makes one feel a bit safer um unfortunately the you know the amount of farm attacks is still taking place because i think we are like um breaking it, we are um, making it slower, the increase, but there's still an increase, unfortunately. Mm. Very sad indeed. Now, I wanted to sort of move on to um, yourself and your everyday life, your sort of safety. Um, I'm not sure if you're on a farm, I'm not sure whether you're in that category, but what's it like for yourself just walking around the streets, going to the supermarket, going to work, um, going to visit a friend or going out for dinner? Are these things where you also have to be quite careful or is it relatively safe in, in sort of individual neighborhoods? I just sort of wanted to get a bit of a picture of everyday life for yourself over there. Yeah. So, um, so I don't necessarily always feel safe, but I always feel at peace because um, I trust that if you are in the will of God, then he will protect you. So I, I am at peace with that, but you, you are always alert. That's definitely a fact. So if I just um, walk in the street quickly, take a walk or go to the supermarket or wherever, you are always you always have to be alert. You have to keep your hand back very close and you have to have paper spray and you have to, you have to be alert. So yes, we've adapted to that. Um, and then also you're asking, so um, me and my husband, newlyweds are also looking for a place now to, to rent out. And it's so sad that the estate agents, it's just like normal for them to say, but um, yes, this area is very dangerous. And, um, and like, like where we are now, every area where there's like a river or um, no development yet, and usually that would be overseas, that would be like great properties when there's a park nearby or whatever, where in South Africa that's like dangerous because it's a place for people to flee once they came to attack you or it's like bush come out. And so, yeah, it is something that you have to keep in mind the whole time. Um, as I said, I really think that um, our people, South Africans, are very tough. So we um, we are willing to to take on our lives here and to live our lives and just be alert. Um, but definitely, there's times that you feel unsafe. Always when I'm on a farm visiting my grandparents on the farm, my cousins, my husband's um, family, you always you are always um, extra alert and extra mm -hmm. careful. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I hope that answers. Yeah, what it, what's it like with, um, I guess, racial treatment, skin colour sort of treatment? Um, because, for, you know, especially in the West, um, I, I believe that I think Thomas Sowell quoted this once that racism is like ketchup. You can just slap it on anything these days um, and it tastes good. And, you know, like I, I you know, I have lived in this country my whole life and I haven't personally witnessed 
firsthand racism, like direct racism. But it sounds like that's something that occurs in your part of the world. Is this something that you experience um, in school or university or even just going to the shop? Like, do do you get these sorts of treatments um, living over there? Yes, definitely. So um, one example I can give you is my husband that went to renew his driver's license and um, there were a long queue and he was the only um, person with a white skin color. And the um, the state officials that works in this department is obviously of different skin color. And they just looked and they said, like, sorry, the water is off. We won't be able to help you to renew your license. And then you can't do anything about that. Um, his grandma, so when you also, it's at home affairs, you can be um, helped first if you're a, a pensioner, when you're old, elderly, um, and and she went there and she has to go for a um, shoulder operation and everything, and she asked if she can maybe move to the front of the queue, and they said, like, no, she doesn't have enough grey hair. <laughs> so, yes, you do, mm-hmm. you do experience um, you do experience this kind of racism. So if that answers your question, and um, at university as well, the, this, it's this racial tension that I'm talking about um, that hasn't always been there. And it, it's also different at different parts of the country. So I grew up um, in the Western Cape where um, there's not actually a lot of Black people in the Western Cape. And um, the the language in the Western Cape is mostly Afrikaans, no matter your skin color. So it's like a lot um, peacefuler there. Mm. Um, when you get to different parts, you really experience this uh, people walking past you and they won't move or you want to pass someone and they mo- won't move and they like bump you off the shoulder or whatever. So, yes, you see this, you experience this. And then, of course, with... Um, on on systematical ways like getting into a sport team and also needing needing quotas and stuff like that. Mm. Um, now it's not all um, bad. I'm guessing that um, many of you, regardless of your skin color, love one another, treat each other with respect, and live harmoniously. Would you say that that's the majority of South Africa, and it's just a small? portion that uh, I guess do treat people differently based on skin? Um, I wouldn't say it's the large majority that's peaceful, maybe like (laughs) 50-50, but um, it's also what's bad is I don't know how sustainable it is because of the racial tension. It's, um, It's as if there's like just a small trigger needed to cause harm for the relationship or for the friendship or whatever so um so yes but but we do go around with each other peacefully I mean if you go to the supermarket you won't just like (laughs) just push each other push each other around or whatever so and a lot of people I mean you will see in South South African Twitter there's this hashtag that will trend every Friday hashtag Futsak ONC that means like go away ANC who's the ruling party and this is not even like people with our skin color is not enough people to actually get something trending so this is people of all different skin colors in South Africa who's like um, who stands together against the ruling party that is so corrupt that is absolutely showing signs of state failure so um, Mm -hmm. yes there's 
people we don't all hate each other <laughs> that's mm. not true yeah now i i wanted to sort of um ask you about the international response and not not just that but the lack of international response why do you think there's such media silence and censorship what why do you think that that's happening oh, I, I i don't know i i wish i knew it it baffles my mind mm-hmm. um i started people feel guilty because people from overseas um just came and wanted a new south africa rainbow nation and now they got it and now they don't want to face the bad consequences that it had and and the problems that we have now um i don't know and then also as you mentioned it's 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 like around the globe it's becoming a an issue i know in america as well they want to change the curriculum and don't want to learn about any colonizer more and so i think it's just um our our plight doesn't necessarily have traction overseas um in in this type this type of mindsets that is mm-hmm. currently you know currently on the rise all around the globe but um there's people there there's groups of people that um that does not look at the world in this skewed way that um that years are plight and they start to pay attention they they start to come and want to learn from Afrikaners because they think that we already learned lessons that the West has yet to learn. Um, I mean, we have this term that we use to be state-proof. <laughs> so um, where a lot of people around the globe and in South Africa are state-dependent, we as Afrikaners want to become state-proof. So despite of all the challenges, despite of all the restrictions to, to prosper economically and whatever, um, we need to be state-proof. So, yes, that is one of the lessons. <laughs> yeah, a good lesson that we probably all could definitely um, learn from ourselves. But I've, as I, I mentioned at the start, it, it it does baffle me like you why there is such censorship around this. I often wonder whether this is something we're going to look back on in 50 years and write movies about. Are we going to look back on in 50 years and and are we going to um, be outraged and are we going to start virtue signaling like they do today? Like it's that atrocious and that bad and it surprises me so much that there's not more media attention on it. And, yeah, like you said, it just blows my mind that not more people are interested in understanding what's going on over there. Um, I know lots of people who are South African who have moved overseas. They're like refugees. Um, I know people who have moved to Ireland. I know people who have gone to England. I know people who have come to Australia. One of my friends um, is in Australia and she has um, moved over here and started a life. And it's quite common, but is it hard? Is it difficult for you as a South African to emigrate or overseas? Um, what's sort of the, and is it something, I mean, you mentioned, is it brain drain? Is that what you said? People um, kind of get, people kind of get um, uh, their careers and their education, and then they move on. Um, are people, are people like Afrikaners, like yourself dwindling in numbers um, and moving overseas or is, are you starting to see more people stay and try and see it through? 
Yes. So a few years ago, sorry, I just want to say that was my battery again. So <laughs> um, just to put that out there. Um, so in the the last few in the past few years, I would say yes, we are becoming less and less. More and more people are immigrating. Even farmers um, like start to go and farm in Canada or, or wherever. People who have the means to do this, but not everyone has the means to do this. So I think a lot of people also cho choose to say and say, well. All the countries have their own problems, firstly, and secondly, um, uh, secondly, not not all my family members or friends have the means to go overseas because it's expensive. You need a visa, you need a or visa, you need a passport, you need everything, and you need to start a life there. So you need a lot of financial means um, not, that not everybody has. So there's a lot of people who choose to rather stay then and say, well we can't just leave the vulnerable behind and, and go find a better life. And I, I'm actually writing a script for a video to answer this question, like why do Afrikaners stay in South Africa? Mm. Because foreigners always ask me this question and wonder why don't you just flee because it's all bad and it's just going, it's just getting worse. But, um, but there's a lot of reasons. And firstly, we believe that God planted us here um, for a reason so many years ago. And, um, He's, he's seen us through a very, um, very bad events that happened in our history with war and everything. So I think a lot of people just choose to stay and say, well, my people are here, this is my country. And we sort of don't want to give into that lies that that you don't belong here because that's what's being told. You don't belong here. You stole the land, what, what, what. So um, I don't think we don't want to give into that that lies, y'all. Now, I'm mindful that your battery is going to, um, you know, probably switch off in a minute. I'm also mindful that the government might switch us off. Who knows? Like, it could be one or the other. But just to sort of finish off, I do want to thank you for coming on, for being brave, for being someone who does actually stay there and, and sort of speaks out about um, the things that are going on and you can help people like myself understand a little bit better. I hope I can get you back on again sometime in the future for an update. But before we wrap it up, where can people find you? How can people support you? And what can we be doing? Of course, we're going to be praying, but I know you're part of AFRI Forum and other things. So if you could just sort of direct people to where they can go to sort of show their support or at least follow on and actually see what's happening in South Africa. Thank you, Evelyn. Yes, so I think I, I, I use my um, Twitter platform for um, speaking out about South Africa. Um, it's still my maiden name, Real Renee Kruger. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, with my new surname now that you pronounced nicely earlier. And um, <laughs> then also YouTube. So um, I prefer doing interviews with people than making my own videos since I don't have all the resources to make good videos. So they're very amateur. But um, when something really presses on my heart, I do um, make videos for YouTube um, to inform people about things in South Africa. That's also um, still Renee Kruger, I think. And then, um, and then yes, Friends of AfriForum, that's an international or a website with that's an international platform for people to be able to donate or to help. And, um, yeah, I can say we are really busy with great work. We are taking people to court who's unfair and uh, who sings songs like Kill the Bird and um, something that would would be important for this conversation we had. Um, we also have a campaign to um, to get funds to help people safeguard their farms, so to give them the technology to safe on farms so um, friends of AfriForum I can um, send you the links and then yeah thank you for that
Amazing. Again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being brave. God bless you. I'm certainly going to be praying for you and for South Africans, um, regardless of the color of your skin. Nobody uh, wants any any bad to come to any human being. And um, that's, I guess, the end goal is peace and loving thy neighbor. But I thank you again for coming on. Stay in touch. I'd love to have you back on again um, in the future and we can get an update from you. Thank you so much, Evelyn. Thank you for your effort to shed light on this dark truth of South Africa and we'll keep in touch.